listening to the Niagara Moon Podcast. I'm Thomas Irwin. If you are new to this podcast, welcome, welcome. So happy to have you in here. Uh, the show's format can change week to week, but safe to say there's going to usually be some some nerding out on music. That's kind of the deal around here. Uh, if you are coming back to the podcast, welcome back, Moondog. Happy to see you again. Uh, if you're a fan of recurring co-host Dan Barracuda, you might uh, be familiar with his name-dropping of Tears for Fears more than once. He, he kept bringing up Tears for Fears uh, as we were talking about different albums, and I thought that was kind of strange. It's never really been a band that's been on my radar at all, beyond just the obvious hits, like Everybody Wants to Rule the World. But then when you know it, uh, another dear friend of the podcast, Mark Grundhofer, he's been on a couple times. Uh, Mark was like, Tears for Fears is my favorite band. Let me come on and I'll, I'll tell you what they're all about, which uh, I, I admired. I, I was ready for that. I thought that'd be an, an interesting episode. Um, he also did want to take us to task a little bit for uh, <laughs> our review of Aja by Steely Dan. Uh, which especially Dan was was not super flattering about the whole thing. It is a fun episode. You, you can check it out yourself if you want the uh, the full context there. But uh, so we had Mark on to talk about the band Tears for Fears. Unfortunately, uh, Dan could not make it. He he had something come up. So it's just me and Mark for this episode. But I I enjoyed it. I I feel like uh, you know I learned a few things. Got some some cool insight on the group. And, uh, you know, just the, this kind of era in music a little bit too. It's, it's interesting. Uh, something else cool is Mark just released a whole new album. He's going to talk about it in the podcast, but it's called Cities. It's a bunch of instrumental tracks, a lot of jazz fusion energy in there. So congrats to Mark for that release. I put out a single on New Year's Day called Hindsight. That's also the theme to this podcast. So if you want to hear the whole thing now on Spotify or what have you, that is out there. And of course, if you want to take a look at the Niagara Moon Patreon, that is really cooking at this point. There's a lot of bonus goodies on there. You can go to patreon.com slash Niagara Moon Music. All right, let's get into the episode. We're here for the very first Niagara Moon podcast of the new year. Big friend of the pod here, Mark Grundhofer, joining me today. Hello, hello, Mark. Hey, everybody. And we're talking about Tears for Fears, which I feel like their stature has become legendary on this podcast at this point. Uh, Dan has mentioned them so much in the past. You uh, finally suggested that we uh, yeah. dive into their work in depth, and you were saying they're your favorite band? I would I'd put them up there. I mean, there's there's not many others that, that are going to compete with them. Um, I've just always, yeah, I've always had a, a real affinity for their music, for their arrangements, for their songwriting. And uh, I think they get I think they get kind of a bad rep sometimes from people that just know them on the surface level yeah. as like this 80s, you know, new wave band, which I love 80s new wave. But right. um, but they go so much deeper with some fantastic musicianship. Um you know, uh, their, their, their Beatles-esque writing, mm-hmm. um, and even kind of getting into that realm of, of 
jazz fusion-y sort of stuff. I, I can say I was one of those people that had written them off as just like 80s one-hit wonder guys. Right. Because um, I had never really known too much about them beyond the big hits. Uh, but what hits they are, though. Like, yeah, for sure. Everybody wants to rule the world. For me, that's just one of the pop masterpieces of the 80s. It really is. I mean, and and if you kind of read about it, they talk about how they wrote and recorded that song in a week. Which is <sighs> crazy. Which is there's so many parts in that song. I know. And they said, well, then that, but that's the thing that's kind of interesting is that they, it's one of their fewer songs, I think, from that record that is really playable by a traditional, you know, band guitar bass, yeah. drums, keyboards, maybe an auxiliary instrument, another guitarist or a keyboardist. I mean, it's, you know, and I've covered it in bands, right. in just about every band I've ever done, because it's just such a, it's a crowd pleaser, and it's really fun to play, because just from a guitar player standpoint, the guitar work in it is just unparalleled. It's just awesome. That guitar solo is to die for. The first one is Roland Orzabal, the, the you know, one of the two members, yeah. you know, uh, founding members of Tears for Fears. The second guitar solo is this guy Neil Taylor, who plays on some of their other stuff, but really kind of an unknown, an unknown, uh, you know, an unknown session guy from the from the eighties. And man, he just he rips it. It's just awesome. Which uh, which guy <laughs> plays the solo that just like starts at like the depths and then just ascends? Yeah, which one is that? That's Roland. That's oh, okay, right on. I like both of them, but that that's that's my favorite moment in the song, maybe. Totally, absolutely, and that's what always drew me to it because I always wanted to learn that solo, right? And I would sit down and kind of play through it, and um, I, I, I teach that song a lot because I always I think that there's a lot of um, I think my students can benefit from a lot of like it, it's a simple solo, like from yeah, a, like if you you know if you if you transcribe it out and if you learn it, you realize it, it's really played in a very small box and it's played with just a few notes, but man, the phrasing is just out of this world, you know. And on a yeah. pop song, you know, like yeah, totally. Like to ha- yeah, to have that arguably. level of musicianship on a pop song is, you know, pretty great. Completely, and yeah, shout is also. I like shout. I've I've come to really appreciate what kind of song that is. Right, and, and you know, if you if you strip that one down, it's it's a very again, it's a very simple. You know, you can play it on an acoustic guitar, even though it's this huge production, right? Um, you can just, but it's just a couple chords, but that middle section with all of the, uh, synthesizer, uh, soloing, if you want to call it, but all the riffs yeah. and stuff, man, it's cool. It's cool. It's, it kind of sneaks up on you how big their arrangements get. You right. like, even on the songs I was first familiar with, um, you know, like, cause I only know the hits to start and, uh, I only hear them in the context of best of the eighties, you know, so I kind of like sure. lump them in the same world as like uh you know the breakfast club soundtrack the, right don't right. you forget yeah, about me sure, like I'm, sure. I'm putting them on the kind of the same level in my mind before i know any because i'd never heard anything else about them right. really or and if you do like a if you do like a you know a pandora radio or a spotify radio or something you know following the tears for fear song will be you know the smiths or you know uh soft machine or something like that one yeah. of those 80s new wave bands and at sometimes sometimes it, it it i kind of i kind of get a little frustrated i'm like no no no, you should play you know after this song you should play some you know 
Doobie Brothers or Steely Dan, which you know segue yep. segue into my defense of Asia from you from you <laughs> oh, and Dan boy. because because I mean that's a top five album for me. But yeah, y'all, but y'all but y'all use the word. I feel like I feel like I heard the word elevator music, and uh, ooh man, that hurt. That hurt. Oh, that was that was Dan <laughs> mostly though. Yeah, it's I'll I'll. It really is a, a shame again that uh, that the true Dan Dan Barracuda could not join us today to, to weigh <laughs> in on right. this. But, that's right. Uh, that's right. Yeah, we we talked Age It by Steely Dan uh, a bunch of episodes back. Mm-hmm. Good, epi- I'm always, good episode. Good episode. And you know what? Oh, thank I mean, you for that. There were some there were some really good uh, opinions as someone who grew up with that album probably more than any. I mean, honestly, like I, I could associate my childhood with Asia. And with the seeds of love, those are like two of my like, wow. like that my parents like listened to that we would have in the car on road trips. You know, um, got the so, amount of musicality in both of those. That's that's a lot to grow well, up and that's, with, and that, right? And that's why, and you know, then to, to you know to grow up kind of learning like Steely Dan tunes. I you know I, I could play every song on on you know the album Asia. My dad's band played Asia, like the track Asia, like wow. in its entirety. And I remember sitting there. When I was younger, you know, just watching him like kind of figure out those giant chords on the on the piano because um, he was a piano player, and they would do they would do that tune. It's just like man, um, and then just listening to that Tears for Fears album, knowing Seeds of Love before I even knew anything about Shout yeah. or Everybody Wants to Rule the World. So I it's thought it's almost te- two completely different bands in, it, in yeah, a way. Yeah, totally. Yeah, totally. I thought that Seeds of Love album was closer to a Steely Dan record, you know, in the sense that it's just. It's jazzy, it's funky, it's got, you know, it's yeah. pop, it's pop, but not in the 80s new wave pop. Yeah, kind of definitely. Realm, you know, I, I, so I, I heard, I mean, we'll, we can go all over the place here. Oh, mm-hmm. we'll get back sure. to Asia in a minute, but Seeds of Love, because you were like, that's my favorite one. Yeah, Songs from the Big Chair is, is more famous right. or whatever, just for those hits, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you're 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 partial to both, but Seeds of Love being the big one, they have the the Beatles influence evident in there. Um, so I checked it all out. Uh, apparently, I also knew Head Over Heels. I didn't yeah. know that was Tears of Fears. I like that song. Fantastic a lot. piano part to open it up. I mean, is yeah. there a cooler piano intro than that? That sort of C Lydian, you know, riff. I mean, it's just great. Yeah, and it's it's great changes uh, in that song. And the way it transitions from the previous track, like it's one of those blend into the next tune kind yeah. of jobs. And then it yeah. even and then it even blends into another track. So it's sandwiched between Yeah. It's broken and then you go head over heels and then it goes into broken. But that when it segues back into broken, that's actually taken from a live show. Wow. So they they that's how they would do it live. So Head Over Heels is a studio, but it transitions into a live recording. And kudos to the engineer because that live recording sounds phenomenal. I don't know if they overdub some parts to kind of beef it yeah, up. Yeah, how man. much of that is like a Benny and the Jets effect? Because mm. I was like, wait, this is I mean, it's, fun it's, people it's on a from a live show stage? from what I've read. But you're right. Like how much did they, did they you know, kind of re, you know, double track the vocals once they got back into the studio or something like that? I'm not, I'm not really sure. Um, yeah. it's probably in, I've got my, uh, it's probably in it. I've got my, my tears, my songs from the big chair box set with, uh, Whoa. with, uh, it's got a couple booklets and it's got like, gosh, it's, I mean, it's got, 
how many all these all the CDs. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. It's there's a That's there's a stack. A, yeah, there's a like a 5.1 mix, there's the original record, there's all these B-sides. Um because again, this is a band that even though they sound like, you know, they were just guys in front of a computer like doing an 80s computer, right? Like just sort yeah, of programming parts. Pop template they yeah. still they they would they they would jam they would play live you know like in the studio and they would play um and so there's so many b-sides and so many like alternate takes and so many different versions of the same songs um that they would do especially on seeds of love which there's a there's a box set for that that just came out that i gotta get these are these are uh uh mixed by um stephen wilson of porcupine tree Mm, and he whoa, does okay. he does such amazing like remixes. Yeah. Oh man. He did he does like all the Yes albums, um, and like Gentle Giant and Jethro Tull and and he does these Tears for Fears records and they put out all these added tracks and bonuses and these box sets and it's just like uh, take my money. Here. Can you imagine <laughs> how much of a dream job that is too? Like, oh know, these right? bands that are super influential yeah. for me, just right. my my heroes right. and I am in charge of, of like updating their sound for absolutely. the modern era. Absolutely. And it's and he does and he does a fantastic job because he has one of the best ears for soundscapes and mixing because uh, Porcupine Tree records are just pristine, you know, perfection yeah. from a studio you know, kind of perspective. I think Dan is a big porcupine tree guy. He, Maybe he, I'm getting yeah. him mixed up. Okay. Yeah. yeah, I, yeah I, totally. I get him mixed up with Mars Volta for some reason. Yeah. I mean, if you like tool and perfect circle and, you know, Mars Volta, <laughs> you probably like porcupine tree, yeah. you know, I love, yeah, I love porcupine tree. Great band. Great band. What, what was the thing? Oh yeah. All right. So tears for fears. I'm checking these guys out more. One of my initial impressions, and maybe we're, we're getting into hot take land at this point already, but this <laughs> feels go. like a band that was a little bit thwarted by the 80s. What I mean by that a little bit is like they're so ambitious and especially uh, Orzabal is so meticulous and he's so uh, dedicated to like just the art of music itself and trying so many different things out and really kind of heavy bigger like worldly messages in their music the, yeah. these are not your typical like just shallow 80s pop dudes but their sound is so marked by the 80s and 80s production techniques and they just they struck me as a couple guys who probably had a lot more they wanted to say and like a sound they wanted to capture and maybe like other powers that be maybe management or the label or other forces like might have mm-hmm. yeah. thwarted them a little bit. Like, I mean, you're 100 percent correct. Like, yeah, I, I heard that kind of dynamic play out mm-hmm. a lot. I was like, these guys might have been better off, like if they came out 10 well, years earlier. I don't know. Well, or 10 years later. Because, later, yeah. Um, I haven't, and I haven't heard their later stuff. So the their their last studio album was like early 2000s, and I think I told you this in our in our conversation before. Um, it's if it wasn't. If I, if I I feel I would feel like kind of bad as a as a Tears for Fear fan to say that last album is my favorite album, but in some mm-hmm. ways some ways I actually like it better than anything else they've done because everybody did, loves a happy ending. Yes, because there was no label involved; they did it all themselves, and it is. I mean, it's a Beatles record. Like that's what they're trying to make is a Beatles record. It's mm. 
it's it's pop, it's fun, but it's also got like some of those progressive rock tendencies that they kind of get into. Some of those, you know, Steely Dan jazz fusion things. Yeah, lots of musicality, tons of experimentation, and but some like real. I mean, there's a track. Um, uh, there's a track on it. Oh man, why am I blanking? Um, uh, it's like the fifth or sixth track, but they do the drum. It's based on the drum beat from uh, Come Together. I mean, they they it's uh, it's an obvious nod to come together with yeah. the baseline under it, but it's their own kind of thing, and it works so well. Um, and uh, yeah, you, you were telling me that they were really Beatles influence, which just previously only, only knowing the hits, I was like, what really? Uh, what would that sound like? And then I heard "Sowing the Seeds of Love," the title track, and I'm like, absolutely. okay, it's all right. Oh, I am yeah. the walrus, <laughs> right? Right. I am the walrus. All you need is love, like all those kind of parts, like built in for sure and i mean and when you see them live he even will quote like sing melodies from beatles songs i mean that's that's it that's that's their their bread and butter um and i was and by the way i was lucky enough i think i've seen them like eight or nine times live so when we when i used to live in la they used to play one show a year in la and my wife and i would go every year and it's the same set same band nothing different But we just go because it was like you kind of felt like when, you know, there's always going to be a last time you can see them. And, uh, you know, that's why we would we just go every year. They'd play at like the Wiltern in Los Angeles or like the the uh, the Orange County Fair or something like that. And you just go and watch them play the, the same set year after year. Wow. But it was fun because, hey. you know, it was just a great band. Sounds like a nice little tradition there. Yeah, they used to they they used to bring their kids up to um, their kids, which were to, to to sing shout, you know, to do the background vocals for shout. So every all the kids would be on stage from the whole band, and wow, know, whoever whoever was opening up for them would do background vocals. Um, so you know, there's a, there's a a very famous singer who sings with them, Olita Adams. Um, oh she, yeah, she is uh, credited. And at least the first couple of tracks, I yeah. just, just saw it on Spotify. Yeah. yeah, so they actually saw her in a bar in Kansas City, like when they were touring the U.S., and they saw her playing, and they just fell in love with her, and they brought her in to do Seeds of Love and then some later albums, and their part of the agreement, as, as I understand, was if she came and did that, they would also launch, they would give her a record deal. Their label, the like Tears for Fears' label, would give them a record, give her a record deal. And she's gone on. I mean, she's got some great. She has some hit songs, you know, in the mm. R and B kind of smooth jazz realm. And I mean, she yeah, just, she and had she that just, kind of tone to her voice. And she kills, man. She sounds so good. And she actually plays piano on that second track, "Bad Man" song. All that jazzy piano stuff, man. Oh, she just and they they toured with her for a little while. Um, I never now I never saw her with them because that was in the you know eighties and nineties that they toured yeah. with her. But man, she is just she has just got a voice. Yeah, it was it really changes the tone of Seeds of Love, like really kind of separates mm-hmm. yeah. the vibe of the the album from uh, songs from the Big Chair. Like right off the bat, I'm right. like. Oh, I did not really know about this band at all. Yeah, apparently, right. like what these guys are doing, and I absolutely heard the uh, the Steely Dan influence mm-hmm. moments. And they also brought they brought in a lot of they brought in a lot of like like heavy hitter session players. You know, and it, the album budget was millions of dollars. Right? It was. I mean, this right. thing is it was gigantic. 
Yeah, it was literally millions of dollars. And whereas Songs for the Big Chair was, I think, less than 100,000. Wow. You know, um, but they, you know, in uh, on Seeds of Love, the on the album on uh, Woman in Chains, the drummer is uh, Manu Kache, who played with Peter Gabriel. I don't know if I'm saying that mm. right, but he played with Peter Gabriel. And at the end of Woman in Change, the big drum fill is Phil Collins. Like they literally asked him to come in and they said, do give us an in the air tonight style drum fill in this song. And he hits it at the end. And it's the most it's the most Phil Collins thing you, 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 know, you can hear. Um, and then uh, what's his name? The, the bass player Pino Pino Palladino plays uh, all over uh, that album. Yeah, um, he was he seemed like a pretty important element. And uh, just 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 other other session guys like that, like like household names are all over that record. And it's kind of it's kind of impressive uh, that this, you know, I think that's what gives it that that not so 80s new wave sound. It uh, some of the it definitely has the late 80s getting sure. ever closer to the 90s kind of mm-hmm. tone to it. I, mm-hmm. It reminded me a little bit of uh, like later Prince, even um Sign of the Times a okay. little bit. I have, to, I have to listen to those back to back to see. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. been a while. Or the, really, the, the Batman soundtrack, which came out the same year, that might even. Which is so funny because that is actually like a great soundtrack for such a, <laughs> you know, campy, cheesy movie. I mean, that could just be the, you know, the nature of the gear or mm-hmm. like production they're doing. But sure. Yeah, this is. Uh, now, I, I was also curious. When I listen to it, it's like over an hour long. It's twelve tracks. Do you consider that to be the true version of the album, or because apparently no. initially it was just it no, ended at famous last words? Uh, I've, got, I've got my my record here. Um, uh, yeah. Okay, you yeah. got the vinyl on hand. Yeah, uh, yeah. Famous last words is the last last track. You know, and the, the rest the un- is the unfortunate thing. I I think with the era we live in is you can't listen to records the way they were anymore because Spotify or I you know yeah. the, it's always the deluxe versions right change them up yeah I mean I wish they would put the original on there and then also the deluxe yeah. versions so you and can the choices yeah yeah no it 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 definitely ends on famous last words which is a perfect okay. which is a perfect ending track you know and which was actually supposed to be the uh, I believe that was supposed that was originally going to be the name of the album because the band was kind of falling apart. Uh, yeah, I was reading just a little bit about that. Sounds like they had just disastrous management. They had disastrous management. Uh, I, I think Kurt Smith didn't really want to do it anymore, and which is why he basically left. And Roland took Tears for Fears and made two more albums. Just it's Tears for Fears, but it's just Roland. So how do you like that version of Tears for Fears with just I mean, those, one of the guys? Those two albums are really good. Okay. They, so they are. They are. All right. So do you, do you think Roland was uh, really the, the secret sauce of the whole thing? Oh, he, he absolutely is. Because, I mean, Kurt Smith, you know, some of my favorite songs, like Bad Man's song is probably my favorite yeah. Tears for Fears song. Roland, uh, Kurt Smith isn't even on that track. <laughs> okay. Oh, like, yeah. I'm, I'm looking here now. Because he's, he's, he's a bass player. Um, and Pino came and played bass on that track. And then Kurt Smith is a singer, but he's not doing any of the lead vocals. He might be doing backup vocals or maybe some auxiliary instrument or something. He's not credited on the track. Um, and he's not credited as a writer, so it's almost like he just left for the day <laughs> and they recorded that track. But I've seen them play it live, and Kurt Smith plays the bass parts live, so it's like I guess he learned them later. Um, but, 
he, yeah, I mean, he's, he, and he's more of the, he's more of the, I think the, the 80s new wave style, like the first album uh, and songs for the big chair have a little bit more of his signature on it. And then they sort of branch into this, you know, like we said, Beatles, Steely Dan, Paul Simony kind of writing. It, it really kind of felt like they were trying to do everything. Yeah. Especially on yeah. the Seeds of Love. Sure. Like, almost as if, I don't know, like he knew this would be their their last like big hurrah. And it might, and it might, and maybe he did. And if you, if you get a chance to, uh, uh, I believe it's all out now that Deluxe has so many backing, or I mean, so many B sides and yeah. uh, and rehearsal tapes that are really good, uh, like where they're just trying out songs, and it's really fun uh, to listen to what the songs could have been, where they kind of transitioned, where they went with it. Um, but you absolutely get that feeling that there's they're trying to kitchen sink this record, you know. It was it was almost a little overwhelming. I, I imagine if like I grew up with it yeah. and I was exposed to it a lot, it would. Uh, if you yeah, like, by mean, now I'd be a little more comfortable with it because I I had to like take breaks in, in places almost. It was. Well, I feel like you know that's why I love. I mean, back to Stephen Wilson doing these remixes, he does such a good job at like refreshing the song. And I've listened to the the album with his remix, and I feel like I'm hearing new stuff for the first time. You know. Um, that's even though I, even though feeling. I know I know this album, you know, better than just about any other album. You know, I've I've, I've dissected it. I've learned, you know, I've, I've I've learned the songs on it. I've I've learned one, you know, piano on guitar. Um, you know, really like kind of got a gotten into the drum programming and 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 some of the some of the uh, percussive elements of it. And you know, I really think I take I try to take a lot of those dissections and put them in my own music because they're you know they just i think they i think they were a great studio band i think they really were um they were a good live band they absolutely but i think they were a much better studio band and that was all orzabal being uh the the grand overseer right he, he was he was calling all the shots he he kind of developed a reputation for being like kind of finicky or perfectionist almost. I, I, I mean, yeah, this album came four years after uh, Big Chair, right? Right, right. Yeah, and I mean, my understanding is this Seeds of Love is what they wanted to do, but the record label said, you guys have to go put a hit record out, and so that's why they did Songs from the Big Chair. Songs from the Big Chair was that sort of cliche record labels making you record an album, you know, you don't want to it's your sophomore album you've got nothing left you want to you know it's kind of the those you know rock and roll movie documentary whatever you want to call it that that seemed like that was that was like the exact blueprint for what was going on and then once they were able to move on they did that seeds of love and that was the album they wanted to do which you can really tell when you listen to that the the their most recent it's funny to say most recent it's like 17 years old the most recent <laughs> album um everybody loves a happy ending because that one yeah. that one you can tell that's exactly what they've always wanted to do which was just yeah. you know just so, you know basically songs you can sit down with an acoustic guitar and just sing and play you know that's, that's right what, that's what yeah. they want to do and their very first album the hurting is the exact opposite of that i mean it is 80s new wave you know definition that first yeah. album you know, Lynn drums and big synthesizers mm-hmm. and, 
you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I was just, I was thinking about that sound because you get a little bit of that on songs from the big chair. Mm-hmm. Like the working hour mm-hmm. is just so tied to that era. Yeah. Like, yeah. what is it about the 80s sound that it's so take it or leave it? Like, yeah, it's know, either right? exactly what you want or like you don't want it at all. It's well, so I, like pompous and. Yeah. And probably my least favorite album of theirs is the very first one, The Hurting. Um, but it's not from songwriting. It's mostly from production because it is, it's that, it's that early eighties sound, which I think songs from the, I think, I think song from the big chair is, is like the perfect example of like the good eighties sound, if that makes sense. Like yeah, from, the, a produ- the, from a production standpoint. Yeah. Head over heels like that. Yeah. That song was carried out brilliantly. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, even, even I believe just to have that, kind of ballady piano based yeah um, that that one had an interesting spaciousness to it that i which, was not expecting which I, I think was a full band song and then they just they were just like we can't do it again they rearranged it so many times and it became this more stripped down um ballad yeah yeah i was i was listening to that one first songs from the big chair and a little bit of me was like it's just the wrong era for these guys. It's so yeah. some of the moments, maybe Mother's Talk was mm. another example. Yeah. Like it's so what what is I'm, I was trying to figure out what exactly about it is can can be just from a production like sound approach standpoint, like what can be so egregious about it? It just I mean, sounds I, so like confident in itself. Yeah, to me to me from like a real like I don't know. For me it's it's that it's that sort of programmed drums with the giant reverbs, right? Like, yeah, that's the the, the staple, for right? Sure. You know, you get that without much else underneath it, you know, um, and the double tracked vocals and stuff. Uh, I guess it's just re- it's really weird when it starts sounding like you couldn't play it on stage. Ah, uh, okay. I don't know. To me, that's 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 always been my. That's pretty fair, though. You know, with a lot of those. 80s bands um that's that was kind of my problem but then you've got a band like um talking heads who um you listen to you listen to the records and you think i don't know if they can pull this off and then you watch stop making sense which is and you're like oh they just need 12 people (laughs) right but still probably stop making sense might be the most perfect moment of live music that's ever existed uh, only only ahead slightly of of uh, David Byrne's uh, American Utopia because <laughs> for have you seen that yet? I haven't. Well, maybe I just saw a little bit on on Letterman or something like that. You should watch. Well, not even Letterman. Letterman's retired now, but I, I saw him doing like a little snippet yeah, of it on the talk show. I remember that. Show. I remember that, and I wasn't really impressed by it on the talk show. And then I watched the the whole full concert, and just to be able to get those sounds from guys walking around on stage is just uh, yeah. I should man, probably check so, that out. It's so cool. I got that guy. That guy has a way of of trans, translating what he does in the studio to the stage, like like no other, and I love it. You know? Yeah, um, I, I'm I'm kind of like a almost a grouch about live music in general. Like I, I just I don't I seem to not appreciate it even from the artists I'm a fan of in the uh-huh. same way as a lot of other people. But yeah. I saw Stop Making Sense way way back in the day. Just even for like a film, like mm-hmm. a concert film, that yeah. was fascinating. I loved it, and like they'd be one of my top five bands I'd want to see live. Uh, I, if I, I couldn't could go agree. back, I could Yeah, like, I couldn't agree with amazingness. you more. Amazingness. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not making sense. It's just uh, I, I, I like to watch. I watch it with my uh, with my daughter, and she likes to like emulate the dance moves that he does. <laughs> it's pretty great. Oh God, it's fascinating. 
a whole thing. Yeah, yeah. like, and how like, it's all, like all slowly the, evolves. All the all the jogging through life during wartime. Yeah, you know. Oh yeah, that. it's great. Big fan of that. Like God, how's this guy still breathing? And that's well, cocaine. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that's what that's what it was. Yeah, he was he was a force of nature. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that that's another thing I was kind of wondering. Listening to these two albums, clearly they had a lot of integrity. They were trying to do something different. You got a lot of catchy moments, a lot of really impressive musicality. <clears throat> how how did these guys never end up really being on my radar in the same way as a lot of other bands from yeah, this era? Yeah, like, I know, right? Like I, I often I have that. Com- yeah, I often have that conversation with people and. Pretty much everyone kind of says like, oh, yeah, I like Tears for Fears because they just you hear the hits and you like the hits. You know, most people do, I would think. But that's why I always try to turn them on to like like Bad Man song for me is just the pinnacle because it. I mean, I could listen to that song on loop all day long and still find something new in it. It's just such a deep and rich tune. And then um, Year of the Knife is possibly the most rocking song they've ever done it just i think i did enjoy that one it yeah. just cooks the whole time it is just in your face um which i believe i, I think i was reading that they wrote that for a movie for like a documentary about sid and nancy oh and it got rejected because it wasn't punk it, enough it I wasn't punk enough yeah. yeah which i totally get but man the, <laughs> the song rocks you know really fun song to play um Probably the only thing that I regret about, I mean, not regret, but but missed out is they never played that one live when we saw them. Mm. Um, but there is a cool concert film. There's a Tears for Fears concert film called Going to California. Um, and you can watch the whole thing on YouTube. And it's, it's right after Seeds. It's the tour for Seeds of Love. So they play all these songs with Olita Adams, with their full, you know, the full band uh, yeah. from the studio. It's really good um it only that concert film really good suffers a little bit from that sort of early 90s editing where they'd edit in uh, like clips from other things that aren't the concert right yeah <laughs> you know? i, I can already like, see it in my or like slow motion like he's you're hearing it live but he's playing in slow motion because they're doing like some m- editing it probably has the same feel as some of the like driving school videos i had to watch yeah absolutely absolutely well also also just reminds me of uh what is that Led Zeppelin one? Uh, oh, the uh, one where they all have their fantasies. Yeah, uh, how, how we won the West or something like that. Oh man, What's I can't remember. It's, uh, well, well, no, I'm not a but you know what I'm, Led Zeppelin. But you know guy, what I'm talking yeah. about. And it's like, no, I just want to watch them play. Quit. Yeah, they have to like introduce like theatrical, no, no, like heightened just, realism into the. the we video. just want to watch them play. <laughs> we don't need yeah, all this. Yeah. All this stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want any of that unless it's David Byrne interviewing himself as twelve different people. <laughs> yeah, right. Put that on at the end. Maybe I'll uh, I'll check that <laughs> right, out. Right, but give give us the um, there's that that Yes DVD, uh, the Yes concert nine zero one two five. I remember when the DVD came out. I was so excited because the actual movie has all that dumb editing in it, but then they released an unedited just concert film version yeah. of nine zero one two live, and I was like, oh, thank you because this is so much better. This is what I want to watch. Not the little cartoons and stuff they put in between it. Oh, yeah. So another thing I wanted to ask you about since you're the Tears for Fears guy is uh, had not – obviously, I haven't heard these songs enough to really 
mm-hmm. delve in and, and get it as much as I could. But uh, what's what's your like assessment of their lyrics, or uh, how do you think it sits in their music? And what 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 are like some of the different things they're really talking about when you dig um, into it? So there's probably better people to ask that because as someone who really is just, I mean, I you could take the you could take the lyrics away and I'd still enjoy Tears for Fears just as much because I really okay. enjoy so the music. So you're like but, me. You're not the, as much lyrically minded. I, well, I mean, you, well, you know, I mean, I only write instrumental music, so. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I do know, I mean, there, you know, I love singing these songs. The melodies are just phenomenal. Like, they, they, he has a way of writing melodies. Um, uh, there's a couple, like, fun facts. You know, I know that uh, from reading this book, there's in the, in the, in the, uh, Songs from the Big Chair, like Deluxe, they have this like interview. Uh, what you I mean? They have this book that just has like a bunch of interviews with the band, and they talk about how everybody wants to rule the world. Used to be called, it was originally called Everybody Wants to Go to War. But, right, but they wanted. They I think wanted that's what a, they were really trying to say. <laughs> right, but they wanted a uh, they wanted a drive time hit. That's literally what they say. They said the record label wanted a drive time hit, and so they changed the lyrics. Um, there's that, there's that, you know, Seeds of Love is a very political, politically charged song. Yeah. Is, is that the one where they're calling out Margaret Thatcher? They're calling out Margaret Thatcher. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of like polit- political undertones, but of course it's, yeah. you know, it's, it's seventies, eighties, nineties, uh, England, right. You know, they're, it's, it's I don't, I don't Anarchy know anything. Anarchy in the UK. I don't know anything about it personally. <laughs> yeah. Seems um, like a lot of people aren't happy though. Yeah, so that's what I've read into it. So I think I think that's what's going. And then the other thing, the other thing that uh, Roland Orzabal was apparently really into primal scream therapy, and there's a uh, lot of his songs are about shout, primal. let it all out. Yes, exactly. Um, he, that's that's what a lot of his songs are about. Even into his further through into those two albums that he did without Kurt Smith, I believe it's that primal scream therapy you know, umbrella that he's, he's sort of working in. And then the, he's got the, he's got the, uh, I, I don't know this for a fact. I'd have to like jump in, but he's got the, one of his albums, Ra- Raul and the Kings of Spain is, has a lot of, uh, s- songs about Catholicism. Mm. Um, so I'm not sure if he was struggling with it or, or what, but that's, that's right. A, he felt a compelled to, to overarching theme throughout that that record huh i mean do they really have any big love songs it's it all seems like uh i mean yeah. kind of slightly coded like right i you mean know, you'd think the seeds, you'd think the seeds of love but it's not a love song you know i mean i mean woman in chains is not a love song you know right but it's a it's an it's a relationship song yeah or kind of like speaking out against society the, the patriarchy, right? That's basically yeah. what he was tackling way before many others. Right. Yeah. That there's there's this another fascinating thing about this era, because I feel like now you're either a hundred percent commercial. Be surprised if you're actually writing the songs at all, or you're doing exactly what you want to do, and you find the people that like that, and you just like follow your own path that way. You know, whether mm-hmm. you're independent on a small or on a smaller label or whatever. Right. This this whole dynamic plays out in a time like the '80s, where it's it's a push and pull. Like they want to have a they want to have a song that's uh, everybody wants to go to war. We're we're making this 
this grand observation about mm -hmm. like geopolitical affairs. Mm -hmm. The label says we need a drive time hit. Right. <laughs> like right. it's this, it's this fat. So it's always it's this compromise between people with these really big ambitions and like kind of uh, yeah confrontational ideals and then like a corporation and then how that they can like meet somewhere in the middle almost. It's well, I th yeah, I think you're right. I think that's and I think that's what a lot they were struggling with. Seems like from songs from the big chair is, you know, wanting to do one thing and their their record label and their management basically forcing them to do another you know and and same on the tours and you know this band is way more functional you know in the modern era they don't they don't do much yeah. anymore but they 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 claim they've been working on a new album for a couple of years mm. um and then if you if you are interested they rec they released over the last 10 years like a couple singles which are covers they did like huh. an, they did like an arcade fire song um, oh, all right. So they're they're keeping up. Yeah. Um, I mean, I mean, honestly, like like uh, I remember when we saw them, they did they used, they used to always cover "Creep" by Radiohead. Oh. But they did it. It was fantastic, fantastic version. Very. I mean, it's funny. You, you know, you don't. Hear I can see that working out. You don't hear well, Radiohead yeah. doing it anymore. But it's a very emotional. You know, kind of. Uh, that 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 bridge at the end, he sings so you know he's he's, he's almost you know wailing when he's singing, yeah. and, and so that works really well for them. And I uh, they covered Billy Jean by Michael Jackson, but not <laughs> not but it like almost like just like a like a dirge, like a funeral dirge, wow. um, because it was right after it was like the year Michael Jackson died, so they covered that at their concert, and it was very weird. Um, it did not have a the the typical bass line or drums it was just like right. a chordal strummy kind of thing um so yeah, totally so took it apart yeah so i mean they again they are i think what people don't realize they are a real band you know uh i remember one concert we saw them they started a song they kind of went no, no 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 we didn't get that right and they stopped and they started it again you know in front of a sellout crowd you know this is a huge band they're like no 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 wait let's do that again i mean they're just they're kind of nowadays they're kind of just a garage band you know huh. uh again playing they don't you know you don't see them playing with like a ton of tracks when they're playing live they do since there's so much drum programming in their music they would you know hit a drum loop but then there's they've got this i forget his name but this phenomenal drummer that was touring with them you know keyboard player with his you know surround sound keyboards because he's got so much you know orchestration to take care of uh you know horn parts and string parts and all that um, a couple background singers then of course an extra guitar player and then roland and kurt um but you know like there's a couple songs that kurt uh smith sings lead vocals on and when they would play live he'd he'd put the bass down and the, mm. the other guitar player would play bass so he could just sing. So I don't know if that was a problem, him singing and playing at the same time. But, you know, he'd just, he'd just stand there and sing and the other guitar player would play bass on, because he sings, um, he sings the lead on, you know, Mad World. Um, he sings lead on Advice for the Young at Heart. Um, okay, yeah. So, and, you know, and a couple other, a couple other tunes. So he would, he'd put the bass down. So, I don't know, maybe that's why they brought in Pino to play those other songs, which, which if you, knowing that Pino's playing on, if you go listen to the bass on, like, Batman's song or on, uh, what's the other one he plays on? I forget, but anyway, 
Oh, he's just cooking on the bass. It's great. Wow. Yeah, a lot of these songs, they stuck out at me as like hubs for many different players to not quite show off their musicality, but be able to incorporate it. Like it's it's one big template that you can put all this like virtuosic like energy into with yeah, just I mean, the song lengths and the yeah. like the grand nature of the arrangements. Like it's... It's kind of like a, a very carefully orchestrated, like free for all. Well, and it's it's uh, and again that parallel to Steely Dan because it's essentially two guys just like Steely Dan, and then yeah, a yeah. Bun- and then a bunch of session musicians playing the stuff. So, um, you know, Steely Dan has, you know, Wal- Walter Becker is a pretty good guitar player. He's not a great guitar player. He's a pretty he w- he was a pretty good guitar player, but they'd hire guys to come in and play the guitar, right? Even though he's the quote unquote guitar player in the band, you know. Although I think he started off as bass on the first album, but um, you know I think that's I think that's really kind of cool. Uh, Tears for Fears, Steely Dan, whatever. You've got these these two guys that are that are running the show, but they're kind of like, hey, yeah, come on in, bring your yeah. you know play. They this, start the party. Play, yeah, play these you know, man, free range on the on the drums or on the bass or something. You know, like let's just let's make this the best track we can. But that's yeah. also probably why it costs you know millions of dollars to make Seeds of Love, like, and why there are so many B sides and unreleased tracks and rehearsal tapes and you know all that stuff because man, it, it it took it took years. That era was just like the height of excess too. I know, right? <laughs> but man, but man, to be able to go in a studio for like a year or two and just <laughs> re- record all day, oh man, that'd be great. <laughs> or maybe not. Well, now you, you've you've been in your home studio yeah, all I year. I I've think that's a modern equivalent. <laughs> what, what do I have to show? No. <laughs> well, I don't get I don't get so many B sides. You know, if it, if yeah, if, no, it if, all goes out there. I was gonna say if it gets finished, it's it's out. <laughs> DistroKit doesn't say no. We, yeah, right. You can't release this one. <laughs> that's right. There's there's no editorial from DistroKit. They're like, yeah, just come on. So, lastly, I was kind of curious. Why do they call themselves Tears for Fears? Do you know oh, what that? Asking, oh, actually, about? I don't even know that. I don't even know that. It's a weird name. Um, what was their? Their? They had an. Oh man! If you hadn't asked me that, they had another name. It's on. I, I, I think it I was read like it on, Graduate or something like that. Well, they had. There was something for something or something to something. It was another. You know, history of headaches. There it is. Oh, history boy. of headaches. Yeah, that's, that's rough. It. Yeah, right. So they made the right choice. Yeah, and switching to Tears for Fears. Yeah. Oh, inspired by uh, Primal Therapy. Oh, there you go. Yeah, and and songs from the Big Chair. Big Chair is a line from Sybil, the movie Sybil, and one of the B sides is a song called Big Chair, um, which they released later, and it's got samples from the movie Sybil. Hmm. So they were kind of. It's it's not a good song either. <laughs> so I'm, I can see why it didn't make it on the album. Um, yeah, they but have, no, they they get heady pretty quickly. Yeah, for sure. Well, they ha- they also have, you know, I, I love this band, but they are not without their missteps. And uh, there's a there's a B sides record that came out years ago, and mm-hmm. one of one of the songs is Johnny Panic and the Bible of Dreams. I heard that one because I, I thought that I just took it at face value on Spotify as being the last track on. That's Seeds a of terrible Love. song. <laughs> Because he kind like, of almost hmm. raps in it. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. It's not good. It's, uh, that's the thing with when this music can go too far. It's like 
this this era is like a hotbed of so many different trends mm-hmm. emerging and like mm-hmm. modern music trends and yeah it can rub me the wrong way when a musician starts like when the artist starts digging into those just because they exist and they feel like they have to almost right, right. that's when you no i totally i, I feel yeah. like that's one of the trappings of this era a little I, bit totally totally agree totally agree and i think that's that's why i love i mean i, I have these box sets because i love to hear all this extra stuff but if i'm yeah. gonna, if i'm gonna sit down and listen to songs from the big chair i just want to listen to you know yeah the original release you know uh, from the track uh i just want to listen to seeds of love the original release yeah um, you know what you grew up with yeah yeah for sure and and you know some of the other you know i'll listen to every i love there, there's six studio albums i guess i mean i love them all but there's definitely tracks that i'm like mm, no we missed it on this one you know um but uh you know i recommend i recommend you know those those two the two that came after seeds of love and especially that that one that came out in the early 2000s for anyone who wants to i mean that one if it was more well known i would have suggested we just dive into that i think just you especially i think you especially will will enjoy it just from okay. a songwriter's perspective because yeah my interest you know, is peaked. It's not as it's not as uh, like indulgent as Seeds of Love, but it's got just as good songwriting, you know, structures and you know uh, arrangements and you know progressions. It's 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 all it's all really solid. A little long, but really good. All right. Yeah, I feel like I've gotten a pretty good yeah. education here. I wanted to, I guess, wrap up this episode by. Talking AJ with you just a yeah, little bit more. Yeah, tell me in depth there. Mm-hmm. Um, what about that Steely Dan album in particular makes you feel confident enough to to firmly place it at the number one? Yeah. Um, what brings it beyond the hype? Do you think? Well, I will say if, if if I had to pick, you know, my favorite Steely Dan, like, and I could choose a live album, Alive in yeah. America is my number one. Oh, that's, okay. That's my number one because they do so much to the songs. Like they change them up in ways that I love. There's a version of Reeling in the Years on that that, I mean, if I never totally heard, different from if, the I, if I never heard the original version of Reeling, I, I wouldn't be upset, right? Um, but Asia to me, I mean, it, it, there's a there's a lot of nostalgia to it. Um, I love I love Larry Carlton. He's one of my favorite guitar players, and he's all over Asia. He's um, all over the other ones too, though, he like is. Uh, he is. Royal Scam, yep. Kit Charlemagne, and all that. You know, I, so here, I mean, I'm a sucker for like, I love pristine production. You know, um, I think like Ten Summoners Tale by Sting is one of the best produced records. Like, okay, of you all like time. now? You like it is really it one clean. Of, is it one yeah. of the best records of all time? No, but I think it's one of the best produced records. I think Asia is mm-hmm. one of the best produced records of all time. Um, I love. I mean, there's they have that classic albums where they like dissecting tracks and stuff for Asian. I just yeah, love, I've watched I just some love of that on and all that. Um, but I mean, I do love the songs. Uh, Asia itself as a song is. I mean, it's it's, it's a mind blowing piece of music. It's not my favorite song on the on the on the album. Home at Last is my favorite song, like without a doubt. Um, I just I love the piano part, um, the the purdy shuffle on the drums that comes in. That that that. Uh, yep, that one. Yep. Yeah. yeah, and then Bernard Purdy with his Purdy shuffle. Um, I love uh, uh, Deacon Blues is great. I mean, just just a cool, fun tune. And then I have played 
Josie live probably as many times as Steely Dan has played Josie live. <laughs> I mean, like <laughs> so much that I don't really care for that song that much, but I know it in and out. And I've also played it live on different instruments like bass and, and you know, different, you know, it, maybe I was the lead guitar once, maybe I was the rhythm guitar, you know. So those types of tunes, I, I think, I think maybe it, maybe I, it's, maybe it's up there for me more from nostalgia and from, kind of growing well, it up sounds with like it's record. a part of your dna yeah for like sure. you've kind of learned so much mm-hmm. from it i have yeah yeah and and gaucho is up there for me too that is just i mean hey hey 19 is probably one of the greatest songs ever written i mean it's just so good it's just i mean and it's just so funky um but uh yeah black cow off black cow is such a good black song cow. yeah you know no there there are more than a few that i definitely like i'm right there mm-hmm. with you i just yeah. uh I guess I, I like being the contrarian by pointing hey, to man. just a slightly less <laughs> yeah. regarded work. And I get it. I get it. I get it. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd put it up there. I mean, I, I'll stand by it, um, if not for just nostalgia reasons. Um, yeah, Asia is absolutely up there. All right. Yeah, it's not elevator music, Dan, if you're listening. <laughs> it's a little more than that. It's just, just a little bit more. <laughs> yeah. All right, yeah. Mark. Thank you for coming on and, and educating about... Uh, what am I trying? Let's start that over here. <laughs> All right, Mark. Thanks so much for coming on today and educating me on this band that would have forever, I think, yeah. not been on my radar. Yeah. But uh, I was glad to talk to to a super fan and really dig into it. Awesome. Um, and if people want to check out what you got going on, because I know you've been pretty active and mm-hmm. uh, you're pretty prolific. So where, where can people check out your stuff and how would you uh, describe it? Yeah, uh, I mean, on all the all the normal places you listen to music, you can find uh, my music. It's just under my name, Mark Grundhofer, and uh, spell that as best you can. And I think Google will help you out to, <laughs> to, to correct any mistakes. Um, I've been, yeah, I've, I've, I put out a record earlier this year that I'm really excited about. Um, a couple singles. Uh, I try to try to produce music about every month. Um, and I have a record. By the time you hear this, my new record will be out. It comes out uh, this uh, the first week of January here, and it is. I'm really excited about this one. It's a it's a travel diary. So every every track is a city that I've lived in, and each track kind of takes is is uh, the music is influenced by the city and maybe what I associate musically with mm. that city. Um, so there, what's you know, that, what's that one called? It's called cities. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Easy um, to remember. Uh huh. Yeah. So that one drops. And, uh, again, I, you know, it's all, it's, it's, it's all original. It's all solo. Um, it's just me, but fully produced stuff. Uh, as I sit instrumental, here, in, instrumental like, jazz fusion. Yeah. Jazz fusion. Okay. Jazz fusion kind of, you know. Again, I, Larry Carlton, Pat Metheny, Jeff Beck, yeah, like yeah. those, those, those are my guys. And smooth uh, guys, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. And of course, you know, always take influences from Tears for Fears and Steely Dan and, and all my all my favorites. So there's it's a little, it's a little jazz fusion. It might be a little progressive rock in some parts, and maybe a little pop in some others. And uh, yeah, but again, take kind of takes you. You can kind of travel along with me as. You know, starts in starts in Birmingham, Alabama, with with some jazz, and then I moved down to to you know Florida, and I was playing more fish jam band style, and you yeah. know moved kind into of a, yeah diary yeah so it's it's kind of cool. journal I'm yeah I'm excited about it. so you can 
you can find it wherever. Yeah, yeah. I, I do look forward to digging into that. And um, and then a little beyond that, we're going to have a single coming out. That's I right. Guess, we're uh, mom's the word on, for now. We working gotta, on our collab right now. All right, man. Uh, thanks again for coming on the pod. Thank you. Talking tunes. This, yeah. is, uh, this is fun. Yeah, it's great. Awesome. It's always fun catching up with Mark. Now I know the uh, the lore of Roland Orzabal. It's pretty cool. Hope you really liked the episode. And you know what? If you did, go ahead and write a review, leave a rating, preferably on iTunes. Give the podcast some uh, some love to boost it in the algorithm if you want to. If you don't, that's totally cool. Next week, we're going to be talking about Leonard Cohen's Death of a Ladies' Man. Ooh, so excited for that one. Hope you all have a great rest of your week. And uh, stay healthy, stay safe. Bye-bye.